0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a new episode and a new season of the Quartalinias podcast. We are back to dedicate our time to cover all things Portuguese football on the Quartalinias podcast. It's a pleasure to have really the godfather of English language Portuguese football content in Tom Condert. I think it's fair to say that if it wasn't for Tom, I would not be anywhere near as interested in Portuguese football as I am now, and I probably wouldn't be doing this podcast. So super honored to have Tom back on again today. How are you doing, Tom?
1: Yeah, I'm fine. Good to speak to you again, Zach. You know, really happy with that news that you'll be doing the podcast again this season. So, yeah, it's a fantastic addition to the English language coverage of Portuguese football. And, you know, I think this is going to be a really interesting season. So, yeah, going to be great talking to you about previewing it. And that, you know, hopefully over the coming months, uh, you know, we'll touch base a few times and we'll uh, be describing a, a very interesting season.
0: Definitely not the last time you're coming on uh, for this season of Quartel that's for sure. Tom, obviously the creator of Portugal and uh, massive influence for all creators of English language, Portuguese football content. Um, I believe actually the last Quartel podcast that I did was right after the U21 Euros final with one of your uh, writers, Matthew Marshall, where we discussed the, obviously, Portugal's loss to Germany in uh, Le Jubejlana. A lot of stuff has happened since that. I believe it's been... Uh, less than two months, but still a lot of stuff has happened. We've had already plenty of teams uh, launching their seasons with the Tasa da Liga, and we've also had the curtain raiser in Portuguese football, which is uh, the Portuguese Super Cup, which saw Sporting come from behind and defeat Braga. Tom, what did you make of this game? Overall, I I thought it was pretty good. Some very good goals, especially from Pedro Gonçalves,
1: yeah, I agree. A Really high quality game. Quite surprisingly high quality, I'd say, for the fact, you know, it was the first competitive game of the season, especially the first half. I think, you know, some really good football played by both sides. Uh, overall, I think, you know, Sporting, you can't really argue, deserved the win. I think it was a very kind of authoritative performance by Sporting. And uh, I agree wholeheartedly with what the coach, Ruben Amarin uh, said at the end, which was uh, Sporting actually beat Braga three times last season, you know, twice in the league, and uh, also in the final of the uh, TASA da Liga, the Portuguese League Cup. But I think each of those matches was really 50-50, and you can argue that Braga uh, were... Possibly the better team in, in some of those games. I remember the game, for instance, at Alvalad in the league, uh, where I think Sporting actually won 2 0, but really they were quite lucky. I'd say Spraga were clearly, I'd say, the better team in that game. And, uh, and even the Tassa de Liga final, you know, I think, uh, you know, that was really, really even. Sporting managed to win it. But this game, Reuven Amarine said at the end of it, it was the most convincing victory Sporting have had over Braga, you know, in compared to those three games last season. And I agree with him completely. You know, it's only a one goal difference in the end, in the winning margin, 2-1, but Sporting really dominated after A good opening by Braga, who were the better side, I think, for the first 20 minutes. But after that goal, you know, Sporting just stepped it up and really kind of, you know, showed all the qualities, which made them champions of Portugal last year, you know, really strong defensively. I can't remember Adan having another save to make after the De Braga goal. Good attack in play as well. Created plenty of chances. You know, they scored two goals, but really could quite easily have scored four or five. The players who really shone last season, uh, again, you know, stepped up to the plate and showed that they're they're ready for this new season. Nuno Mendes for me was the man of the match, you know, absolutely brilliant at left back, well, you know, left back, but he spent a lot of the time kind of as a left winger really just patrolling that whole flank just absolutely perfect in his defensive duties and his attacking duties and uh, Palinja again really good uh, in the centre of the pitch along with uh, Matias Nunes I think that could be a really good partnership hopefully if it's not split up uh, you know due to a transfer I'm sure we'll come on to talk about that in a while and of course that man you just mentioned Zach I mean Pedro Gonçalves. what can you say he scored a lovely goal in last preseason friendly against Lyon with the outside of his foot to kind of Trivella, and he did exactly the same thing in this game, but even more spectacular. You know, he got so much power onto that shot; it really was a, you know, a, a Ricardo Quaresma special because a uh, angled uh, Trivella shot right across goal into the top corner, spectacular finish, and you know what a what a goal to win. Uh, you know, the first game of the season and hopefully to set up another brilliant season. And it does really beg the question, of course, why wasn't Pedro Gonçalves used at all? He didn't even get one minute at Euro 2020, but I suppose that's a conversation for another day.
0: Maybe it's a conversation for today. Uh, I'm just warning you, Tom, I've only had one cup of coffee and just by you mentioning the Pedro Gonçalves treatment during the Euros, you are making me incredibly angry. Overall... You know, if you're listening to this and you didn't watch the Super Cup, just just go on YouTube and search up the highlights and just watch Pedro Gonçalves' gold because, oof, it is it is a thing of beauty. Uh, absolutely yeah. incredible. And just another reason why all the major journals are saying that Pedro Gonçalves' renewal is is pretty much under wraps. Sporting, they've made a few signings so far in the summer window, bringing in Ricardo Escaio, uh, bringing in... Then Vinagre, Manuel Ugarte will probably be the next one to come. But I honestly think that renewing Pedro Gonzalez might be their best signing, if you want to call it that, just because of how effective he is and how good he is and frankly, how much money he's going to end up making them by remaining another year or two. Just phenomenal to watch. Let's talk about Braga for a little bit, though, because started off as the better team. I thought, obviously, this is a team that has caused sporting quite a bit of trouble in, in recent year or So we all remember that testy affair at the Avala, where Antonio Adan really kept sporting in the game with a phenomenal performance in goal. This, on the other hand, I thought was a bit more composed. I think that Braga were probably the better team for the first 20, 30 minutes, you know, obviously getting the goal to start the match. But once they conceded the go-ahead goal from Pedro Gonzalez right before halftime, you know, it really just did not seem like they were capable of challenging sporting. It definitely seemed like a lot closer to 3-1 than 2-2 obviously Braga and Carlos Carvalho missing quite a few players such as Andre Castro, Lucas Piazón, Lucas Minero, Fabio Martins, David Carmo, so on and so on. But I do think that this has been somewhat of a common issue with Braga. They will start off strong under Carvalho, but once they concede an equalizer or concede the go-ahead goal, they can't really find a way to get themselves back in the game. What are your expectations for this Braga side? Do you think that that last weekend's uh, loss was an accurate predictor of how they'll do this season under Carvalho?
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, you, you're right there, Zach, isn't it, uh, Car- uh. Carlos Cavalier spoke afterwards and he, you know, without really making an excuse, but he he made sure that people didn't forget that they were missing quite a few players, you know, and quite a few important players. You know, Piazon was really superb when he left uh, Rio Ave and joined Braga second half of last season. So he, he was a big loss. I think I'm interested also to see how Fabio Martins does this season. Is it? I really, you know, rate him highly, and he's never really ever had a, a regular starting place at Braga. Uh, he was always kind of, uh, you know, on and off. And then, of course, he went to to the Middle East. Is is back now, so I think he could be a big boost to them. I think the biggest for me, possibly the biggest. Question mark about whether Braga will kick on this season, have the same kind of season they had last season, which was an excellent season. We can't really deny. Or, you know, if they're matched out or maybe even go better, uh, will be whether or not they can keep hold of Almos Rati because, uh, you know, there's been rumors all summer that he'll be leaving quite strong rumors that he'll be going to Benfica. That won't happen now. Again, it's not really certain he stays, but if he does stays, I think that would be a huge, a huge boost to. Braga and their chances. Uh, again, he was, he was very good in this game. And, uh, I think he's probably there most important player so yeah it's difficult to say that's an interesting point you make Uh, I never really thought about that Zach that Braga tend to start well and then maybe tail off a bit I think that's uh, you know just thinking back about last season of course I remember the the game against Porto uh, the semi-final of the Portuguese Cup where that was definitely the case they just had that amazing lightning start didn't they went three goals up.
0: Abel Ruiz. Uh,
1: Exactly. Yeah. And then of course they did have a player sent off then, but then they just completely went into their shell and, uh, and Porto were just, you know, banging on the door for the rest of the game, and they managed to just hold on for 3-2 win. So yeah, maybe that is an issue which uh, has to be addressed in terms of their squad. You can't really argue that, you know, it's got a very strong squad. I'd say they've even strengthened it compared to last year. Of course, Mario Gonzalez, we saw him make his debut again in the match on Saturday night uh, against, you know, the former former Tondela striker who did so well last season. And once he settles, uh, I definitely think that, uh, you know, he possibly could be an up Grade in the in the central striking position, so expect Bragger to to do very well again this season. And if one of the big three slip up, I think they'll be ready to pounce.
0: Yeah, you made some very shrewd points there. In general, I think it's been a solid summer from Antonio Salvador's point of view at Braga, you know, bringing in some quality players. I think that the Mario Gonzalez deal for such a low fee. It's a very shrewd piece of business. You got like Sao Paulo Libera as well coming in. And yeah, I'm excited to see how Braga do. Keeping Al Moushrati, as you mentioned, is going to be massive because I think that he was one of the best players in the league last season. Oh yeah,
1: without a doubt, without a doubt.
0: Benfica yeah. was strongly linked but Braga really held firm on uh, their their price tag. He has a t- release clause of just 20 million euros, I believe. But Braga were holding out for, I think, 15 million, which is a good price, but it's also a bit of a small fortune in Portugal. They held firm on them. In the end, uh, forced uh, Benfica to turn their sights to Suadio Mete from Torino. Instead, purchasing from Torino for I believe 8 million euros. does seem like Almusrati will remain, but one player who has actually been linked to a departure from Braga in the past few weeks has been Ricardo Horta, emerged as one of the most effective forwards in Portuguese football under Carlos Carvalho but actually linked to a departure to Atlanta United, who are also trying to get Thiago Almada from Vélez-Sarsfield. It is a bit weird from my point of view, you know, as an American who follows a Liga, Liga B-Win, I guess, not Liga no, now, Liga B-Win. MLS just taking one of the best players in the league last season, in Ryan Gauld. you know, signing him from Ferenc uh, and bringing him to Vancouver Whitecaps. And now... Horta strongly linked to a move to Atlanta. It just seems kind of bizarre to me, but I I do have to give them credit because one criticism I've always made of European clubs, of foreign European clubs, is that they really don't look at the non-big-three clubs enough, I think. You know, they strongly value players on Porto, Sporting and Benfica, but when it comes to players, you know, on Famalico, on Pasos on Ferenc, on Braga, you know, they kind of seem to turn a blind eye to them. But what do you think of potential links for Horta to Atlanta? Obviously, it won't be easy. We just saw how Pablo Fonseca rejected their their offer to become the new coach. Overall, how, how valuable is Horta to Braga?
1: Yeah, he's, he's a key player. He's really good. He's been, a lot of people say, I think there's some truth in the argument that Bragg, they get a little bit of a raw deal when it comes to players being called up to the national team. Horta, I think, has definitely deserved to be called up to the national team. I don't think he has been called up at all, or maybe just got one cap. I can't remember. If, you know, you you have to feel that if he was playing for a Benfica or a Sporting or Porto, he he surely would have got uh, you know, called up to the national team more times. It's been so consistent, it's been so good. I actually think last season was perhaps one of his poorest season in the last three or four seasons, you know, he's just been Fantastic! You know, he scored so many goals. He's not even, a, you know, a central striker, we have to remember. He's more of attacking midfield, a wide player and, uh, you know, really good eye for goal. Yeah, he's been superb and he'll be, he will be a big miss if he if he is sold. I agree with you. It seems a bit of a strange move from his point of view. Maybe, well, I don't really want to talk badly about the MLS, you know, but you would have thought that he could have perhaps even got a, a move to mid to top range club, I would have said, in spite. Spain or maybe even England or Italy, if he was looking to leave Braga for more of a payday, I suppose from his point of view, he must be looking at this and thinking that it's maybe his last time, his last chance to get a big payday I think he's 26 27 so he's kind of in the prime of his career and uh, maybe he thinks and you've got to kind of look at the set of squad and perhaps he's looking at it and thinking oh, I haven't really got much chance of, of breaking into that squad now you know if I haven't done it now perhaps I never will do so perhaps looking to kind of cash in for the rest of his career I suppose that's. that's I'm just trying to work out his his way of thinking you know but, uh, but yeah I think you know just to cut a long story Sure, it's fantastic player. Would definitely be a miss for Braga if he leaves, and uh, yeah, would definitely be a you know a big boost for for the MLS if he goes to play
0: there. Yeah, I don't think any MLS fans will will begrudge you for anything that you said. I think that it was all true. Just a heads up. They get a bit um, picky when you call it the MLS. They prefer to call it MLS.
1: Ah, okay. <laughs>
0: you're, you're just <laughs> Noted. <on. laughs> so just a heads up. But um, no, I completely agree. Let's switch gears though, to the team that won this match, Sporting. Overall, it seems like they've had a solid window, bringing in Rubin Vinagre, bringing in Carlo Iscaio from from Braga, and it looks like they will follow that up with the signing of Manuel Ugarte from, from 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 Maliko as well. And even more importantly, they haven't really had any major departures so far. Obviously still a few weeks left to go, but uh, really no key players from the title-winning team have departed sporting so far. Victorino Antunes, you know, played a bit role, but he has left for Paso Chefeira. And yeah, not many players... Apart from, of course, João Mario, who was on loan at Sporting and looked pretty much certain to join Sporting on a permanent transfer, but eventually joined Benfica. We'll talk about that soon, I'm I'm sure. But in a way, it almost seems like too good to be true. Sporting are a club who, who obviously had to sell their top players in recent years, you know, Bruno Fernandes and so on and so on. But there have been rumors in the Portuguese press that some player may need to be sacrificed, whether it's Mateus Nunes, Joao Paulinho, Jovan Cabral, of course, Nuno Mench linked. But as a sporting fan and a Portuguese journalist, what are your thoughts on this, on sporting's transfer window so far? And do you think that we will see a big departure in the coming weeks?
1: Yeah, it's been a very positive window for Sporting so far. Uh, you know, just le- just losing João Mario, he-, he made a big contribution to Sporting's title winning last season. He was very good, but he's a kind of you know steady-eddy player, I would say. He's not really that spectacular. And I would agree with you when you say that Sporting haven't lost any of their key players. I think they can get over the loss of João Mario without too much problem, especially, of course, they bring in Ugati, another central midfielder. But like you said, I think the key here with Sporting, you now this is such an exciting time to be a Sporting fan. We have to remember last year, this time last year, nobody would have given Sporting a hope in hell of winning the league. Absolutely nobody. They just seemed so, so far behind. Porto and Benfica, it seemed like you know it'd be years before they could even start challenging. They just had an incredible season, of course. Ended up winning the league completely justifiably. I think everyone agrees that. And just look at it now. This is incredible, isn't it, Zach, how much confidence a good season can do and how much really the worth of a of a good coach, because sporting haven't really changed their personnel very much at all. But you look at their players now and you look they've got a lot of very, very expensive assets there, or assets who are worth a lot of money if they are sold. And that's just down to their improvement. And of course, I suppose from Sporting's point of view, and definitely from sporting fans' point of view, the hope is that they stay together, this team will stay together at least for one more season, and they can do something notable in a Champions League or, you know, just be competitive and kind of showcase the talent they have, which of course will only further increase the value of players. And so, if they do have to sell, and they will have to sell inevitably, but they can probably get a better price if they sell this time next year. I would also agree with you, I think the key players, well, really two. Absolutely key players, I would say, sporting have who I think the team would be severely weakened if either of them leave. And that is Pedro Gonçalves, which was just talked about, and Paulina, Joel Paulina. Uh, you know, he has just been absolutely outstanding. He's, he was a very good player. At Braga, he came to Sporting, and I think he's taken his game to the next level. And we even saw that at the, you know, Euro 2020. His confidence is just sky high. Went into that Portugal team, played against the world champions France, and uh, you know, put in a very good performance. Uh, didn't look out of place at all. Again against Belgium, he was good. Such an important player for Sporting, and you know, that whole setup of protecting the, you know, the free centre backs. He he just does that so well. Distributes the ball. I think that's for me. That's the area of his is game that has improved the most fantastic distribution you know really good long and short range passing and i think he would be really difficult to replace her uh, so those two players for me are absolutely key uh, i mentioned at the start i thought man of the match in the super cup was nuno mendes and of course he had an absolutely brilliant season last season and he there's no doubt about it if he does leave he would definitely be missed by sporting i mean just look at that super cup game where he was just so dynamic the whole time that said I think, uh, you know, looking at the, the whole kind of maneuvering of the team or the whole, the. The way the team sets up, I think he is a player who perhaps could be replaced with less kind of impact on the team. Ruben Vinagre, a very good player. Again, you know, Sporting, you have to think, of course, Sporting spent almost 10 million, I think, on Ruben Vinagre. It's a bit strange for Sporting to spend such a high amount for what will be a number two for basically a reserve. (laughs) So I think the thinking... Definitely at the start of the summer was, uh, yeah, we're getting Ruben Vinagre sell Nuno Mendes for a ton of money and uh, we'll take it from there. For one reason or another, you know, the Mendes sale hasn't happened. I suppose the, the bids which have come in, if they have come in, haven't really met Sporting's valuation. And from Sporting's point of view, you know, if... If they do manage to hold on to him and if he shines like he has done in the league or domestically in the Champions League, that's only going to increase his value. And who knows, perhaps he'll be, uh, you know, he'll start being a regular for Portugal he's already played a few games for Portugal he's looked very good so yeah you know I think it seems almost unreal as a sporting fan sitting here and thinking you know we've got these brilliant players and they haven't been sold yet normally as soon as a you know a player really starts making for a name a name for himself at sporting he is sold that hasn't happened yet but you know the big question is that key word yet you know we've still got a month of the of the uh, summer transfer window, and uh, it wouldn't really be much of a surprise to sporting fans if one of them did leave, like I just said in my opinion, if they can keep hold of uh, Pedro Gosalves, which looks likely, and Polinia, which is a little more a little bit more fifty fifty, if they can keep hold of them too, I still think that sporting will have a very very strong team this year.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, two things can definitely be correct. I think that Nuno Mench is probably the biggest talent in Portuguese football since Joao Felix. You know, he was, for me, man of the match in in the Braga match in the Super Cup. And, you know, he is already, in my opinion, one of the best left backs in football. I think that, you know, Portuguese fans have to enjoy him while he's here because he isn't going to be here for too long. And we know that. Because Sporting just signed Hubin Vinagre on loan with an option to buy for 10 million euros, and I think you know that for me that's that's really solid business because you're you're bringing in a player who is going to eventually replace Mendes, but on a loan with an option to buy, so it's not going to force you necessarily to uh, to sell Nuno this summer. You know, I think that it it implies that he will leave in the next. Uh, Twelve months, if a suitable offer comes in, which I believe it will. Even with that being said, I, I do firmly believe that Nuno is the, is the biggest talent uh, in Portugal right now. But if I were sporting, I would rather lose Nuno than João Palhinha or Pedro Gonçalves, and that's not that's that's purely because of how good of a substitute. Vinagre is. I think that when you look at the options in Sporting Squad, there really is no like-for-like replacement for Pedro Goncalves or for jo- Joao Palimia. Uh, obviously, they, they could find somebody with potentially similar quality, but I, for me, there, there's no discussion. If I was a sporting fan, I would rather sell Ma- Mateus Nunes or even Jovan Cabral than Nuno Mensch. But, you know, at the end of the day, if if Nuno does get sold, it'll be for, I think, 50 million uh, potentially 60 million euros in portulets, that's, that's too good to pass up. So we'll see what happens. Uh, as we mentioned, Joao Mario, the biggest real departure of the sporting transfer window, uh, it seemed like he would join sporting on a permanent deal this summer after his fantastic uh, performance um, last season. But it seemed like sporting kind of lowballed him, or lowballed inter, shall we say. Negotiations broke down, and eventually Joao Mario ends up joining. Winning, uh Sporting's crosstown rivals, Benfica, on a free transfer, a quote-unquote free transfer. And that leaves a hole in midfield. Um, it seems like Sporting will will fill that departure with the signing of Manuel Ugarte from Famalico, who is... Um, in the Ur- and very promising Uruguayan midfielder. So between Manuel Ugarte, between Daniel Braganza, who is um, a sporting Alcochete uh, academy product, as well as Mateus Nunes, strongly linked with a departure to Everton this summer, and even Bruno Tabata, who is more of an attacking player but has been tested, kind of in that eight role. Who do you think has the best shot of replacing João Mario and, and filling in next to Paulinho in Sporting's midfield this season?
1: Yeah, I'm a big fan of Ma- of Mateus Nunes. I've always liked him. I liked him last season. I thought he perhaps could have got a few more minutes than he did get. But even the role he did play last season, he was by no means a, a first-team starter. He didn't start many games, often came on as a substitute. But even so, he... You know, he really uh, made his presence felt when he was on the pitch, scored some absolutely key goals. Of course, I remember especially the last second winner against Benfica, which really kind of, I think that was the first time that sporting fans really started believing that they could actually win the league. I think it was just, just after Christmas or just before Christmas or, you know, around about the turn of the year. And they, you know, that, that actually put a bit of distance between sporting and Benfica and uh, really, you know, set them up, I think, for, for what would eventually be the title charge and of course uh, he did also score as well as that goal probably the most important goal in the whole season which was when Sporting were hitting that rocky patch uh, towards the end of last season got a few draws in a row and Porto were just winning game after game and it looked like Porto were about to catch Sporting and maybe even overtake them when Sporting went to Braga and had a player sent off of course uh, Inacio uh, wasn't he Gonzalo Inacio was sent off early on looked like they were going to you know had to play 70 odd minutes against Braga away with 10 men it looked like things were getting a bit dodgy for Sporting and they ended up holding on and then right towards the end that man again Matthias Nunes comes up absolutely vital goal Sporting ended up winning that game and I think that was the time when uh, you know, Sporting won the league basically with that victory so yeah I'm a big fan of his there's been, like you mentioned earlier, there's been rumours all summer that he's been strongly linked to Everton and move there. I think if he did go to England, you know, whether it's Everton or somewhere else, I think it'd be a success there because you know he's a big physical player. Uh, certainly, kind of the hurly burly, all action style of the of the Premier League that won't phase him at all. And uh, I'd be sorry to to lose him if Sporting do sell him. Uh, that said, of course. Braganza, like you mentioned there, an Alcachet uh, Academy graduate, which uh, for sporting fans, or I suppose fans of any team, you know, we always love to see players kind of one of your own coming through the ranks and, and making it. And he's shown, uh, you know, what a fantastic player he can be, especially, uh, you know, for Portugal in the under-21s. Even for sporting last season, again, you know, didn't get a whole lot of minutes, but when he did play, did a good job generally. And, uh, you know, Very different kind of player to Matthias Nunes. Much kind of more smoother attacking, a bit more of a smoother attacking type player. Maybe a bit more skillful and technical than Matthias Nunes, but without the kind of physical attributes that Nunes has got. Could work with uh, with Pelinia, you know, those two kind of two different types of players. And then, yeah, like you said, Tabata has been used. It's actually looked quite good when it's being used there, but I think that's a bit more of an experiment, which I expect Sporting would only use that system perhaps against... The more weaker sides, uh, you know, for league games where, uh, I think that might leave them a bit exposed in the middle of the pitch. But if they're playing against a weaker side and they don't think they're going to, you know, there's, there's much chance of, of conceding goals or coming under threat. That could be a solution as well, putting into Vata and, uh, you know, next to Bolinia to kind of help open up the opposition defense a, a defense, which just sits deep and doesn't really attack all game. So yeah, three options there. My, Preferred option would be Mateus Nunes, but uh, you know, especially if Sporting kind of tie up this deal for uh, Manuel Ugarte, which looks on the cards. Uh, you you know, it's you, you can't really see how can Sporting keep buying players without selling anyone. You know, <laughs> that's not unfortunately that's not the way it works for Sporting, and so uh, perhaps perhaps Nunes would be the one to be sold in that case. And uh, you know, if that's the case, uh, I can't really say that I saw a massive amount of for count last season. So, you know, I'd have to kind of run the rule over Ugati a, a bit more to see if he's, you know, if I think he can do a similar job to Nunes or or Braganza. But I suppose if sporting are spending that much money on him, uh, you know, they must they must have seen something there and they think it'd be a, a decent substitute.
0: Yeah, Mateus Nunes, I think he had quite a few big goals uh last season. He's a player who, he does seem kind of like a hybrid between a midfielder and a forward. He can cause opposition teams a lot of damage with his uh, movement, as well as his end product. You know, as they say in in Portugal, again, that like, Encher o campo, right? He like fills the pitch in a way. Personally, if it was up to me, I, I would rather sell him than, you know, any of the other players we've mentioned because of, I think that, you know, Ugarte... Braganza, uh, Tabata, and, you know, bringing in probably a cheaper option. If you can get $20 million for him and keep, like, and Nuno for another season, I would do it. But I, I have come to like Mateus, I, I will admit. Um, he had a very interesting interview this summer where he was just basically talking about his early life in Brazil and how he grew up without a father. I believe he said something like, my mother still doesn't know how I didn't become a thief or a drug dealer. And it was just a really, really interesting conversation and uh, interview about his life in the favelas and coming to Portugal. I really liked his performance in the Super Cup. And I think if he stays, I can definitely see him uh, winning that starting spot in midfield. Although, you know, going up against like of and Ugarte it will be... Uh, tricky when when Sporting did hire Ruben Amorim for the managerial position and obviously getting so much criticism for spending a fortune i believe now it's the third most expensive managerial transfer fee for a manager with only, I believe, three months of professional experience. Frederico Verandas, the, the sporting president, said M- just Mateus Nunes, Mateus Nunes alone, would pay for Ruben Vinagre, And, you know, linked with a 20 million euro move to Everton, if that materializes, then Verandas will be proven right. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens with Mateus. I want to turn the page, though, to talk a little bit about Benfica, though. It has been quite an interesting summer for Benfica, bringing in some big names. But I think the biggest thing, without a doubt, the biggest thing that has happened has been the departure of Luis Felipe Vieira less than one year after winning re-election, 18 years after coming to power for the first time. This is the end of an 18-year reign in charge of Benfica. Obviously, as the Portuguese football expert as you are, can you just explain a little bit about what, what has gone on at Benfica and Benfica's presidency? And, uh, of course, with the rei hey dos Franjos?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the king of the chickens, yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I think it's, uh... it's just... Yeah, go go on. I I just love the fact that it's like, hey, dos franjos. And like, obviously it seems like the English translation would be like the chicken king, you know, selling chicken. But like, if you go word for word, in Portuguese to English it is the king of the chickens like, I think of <laughs> this, like, massive chicken with like a like a crowd on his head like poultry <laughs> I am your leader now <laughs>
1: like, go on, it, kind, it kind of adds it kind of adds a kind of you know comic, <laughs> comic book comic strip you know uh, aspect to this whole affair and that uh, you know is quite funny I must admit I think even in Portugal you know that is a That is a funny name. And I thought when when the news broke, I I thought it was funny because, of course, the the guy is uh, José dos Santos, I think his name is. But in all the news reports, you know, they didn't really refer to him by his name they, they all refer to him by the, the Raiders Frangos you know the king of the chickens I think they you know just made uh, kind of spice the news reports of it talking seriously more seriously yeah you know this is a huge moment for Benfica and almost for Portuguese football you could say you know it's a bit of a well it is the end of an era 18 years that's a long time for uh, you know a president to be you know the, the president of, sport, of Portugal's biggest club uh, or Portugal's most popular club no doubt about it. Looking back at Luis Felipe Vieira, his. His kind of legacy, you could say, what will it be? A lot of people, even considering this very kind of messy end to his presidency, which I'll come on to in a while. You know, he was actually detained by by the police. That's why he was forced to resign from his post. I'll come on to that in a while. Uh, he actually took over uh, at a time when Benfica were in really their, you have to say, their lowest ebb ever in their history. They went a 15 year period when they only won one league title. You know, they were just in a complete mess every season. There just seemed to be kind of players coming in and out, no stability at all. I'm not sure if they missed out in Europe. They might have missed out in Europe even one season, which for for Benfica is absolutely unheard of. Uh, one of the previous presidents, falias Verdu, uh, ironically, he, he left in kind of disgrace because he also got into trouble because of fraud and uh, ended up getting a jail sentence then running away to England and <laughs> getting away with it for for what seemed most of most of his supposed sentence it was just basically a whole a whole mess to which Philippe Vieira came in took him a long time to stabilize benfica but he did manage to do that. He did manage gradually to get a kind of stability around the club, sort the finances out somewhat. You know, they're still hugely in debt. They've always been hugely in debt, but at least they were in a position where the debt didn't seem to be rising anymore. And uh, and I suppose most importantly, managed to make them competitive again on the pitch, uh, especially, of course, with the hiring of George Jesus the first time round. That was really the turning point in 2010. 10. Uh, so Vieira had already been for almost 10 years uh, at that time. But uh, that's when Benfica really started kind of stepping it up. From the football point of view again and uh Jesus did really well there won three championships in six seasons very nearly when another two got to european finals and that kind of rested away the dominance of porto uh Benfica would go on to win the next two championships after after Jesus left and so i think they won five in six seasons so it really looked like they were becoming the dominant team again in in portugal and then something which a lot of Benfica fans point to as kind of a crucial mistake was made by uh, Luis Felipe Vieira, which was at the end of the I think it was the 2014 season, 13-14 season, uh, after Benfica had just won their fourth championship in a row, he gave a, he gave a press conference saying okay, the time now was for uh, sorry, it was, the, it was the, at the end of the 2016 17 season. He said, okay, it's time now to uh, kind of rein in the spending and to try and really, you know, make a big dent in this debt. So, Sport, so Benfica, the next few years, uh, we won't be investing so much in the players and we'll be trying to, you know, get this debt once and for all sorted out. And uh, a lot of people say that was a kind of historic mistake because it opened up the door again for Porto to to kind of come back into it. Uh, whereas people say that if Benfica had, you know, continued for another year or two to, you know, really concentrate on making sure they had the strongest squad in Portugal, that they could have just become so dominant. It could have been a bit like maybe a Bayern Munich in, in Germany, you know, or PSG in, in France. They could have just, you know, absolutely been miles ahead of the, of the competition that didn't happen. And, and then...
0: Just to stop yeah. you for a brief second. Yeah, yeah. For the summer that you're talking about after the, um, I believe, the fourth straight league title, right? Benfica ended up... This is this is their summer winner. They ended up selling Ederson to Manchester City, Nelson Semedo to Barcelona, Victor Lindelof to Manchester United, Konstantinos uh, Mitroglou to Marseille, quite a few more players... Um, and they only brought in really looking at this, I mean not many I mean Philippe Krovinovic, who uh, just left Benfica after calling George Jesus a son of a bitch in the <laughs> audio file. They yeah. brought in uh, Nils Spilar, who's currently their third choice goalkeeper. Um, they brought in Gab Gabigol, Gabriel Barbosa. I mean, just to give you just to give everybody um a, a picture of what Tom was talking about. They did bring in Harris Zafirovich on a free transfer from Eintracht. Probably the only successful signing uh, of that bunch, though. But go on.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And of course, they had sold players because they'd been so successful and they played such good football, especially under George Azulsh, that you know, their players became uh, you know, whole property and every season they had sold players, but the difference was every season they'd sold maybe one, two players at most. And well, you just gave the list out of the, of the players they sold and didn't really bring in, you know, sufficient replacements or, you know, replacements that could go on to become the same kind of players. So that's when things really started turning for Benfica in terms of their team. While off the pitch, and of course, this is all about Luis Felipe Vieira, the, the president, things really started getting very ugly for Benfica. They were involved in seemingly scandal after scandal. Uh, now, I have to say that all of these scandals or supposed scandals, you know, they haven't actually been uh, found guilty of them uh, in the courts, but you know, you, you kind of get the feeling that there's no, there's no, uh, you know, there's no smoke without fire, because it was just kind of a long list of uh, of uh, alleged wrongdoing. I suppose the most important of which was uh, a kind of scheme to to make sure that Benfica got the referees they wanted. Uh, to referee their matches and also to referee the matches of opponents, uh, to make sure that uh, you know which which people kind of just saw as you know basically cheating, you know making sure that they got an unfair advantage in terms of officiating. Uh, there was a big scandal also involved in that in the fact that an employee at Sport at Benfica at the time uh, had very strong links to. Uh, people in the very high up in the Portuguese judicial system, and so they got inside information which you know helped them to kind of defend themselves from these accusations or even kind of take preemptive action against these accusations uh, and then in terms of Luís Felipe Vieira himself is a very successful businessman here in Portugal, but his businesses were uh, quite apart from benfica were again the subject of lots of police investigation even earlier this year he had to he was hauled before parliament a parliamentary he- hearing because of a huge debt uh, that his businesses have accrued with uh Beige Bank, the novel bank, uh, formerly the Spirits Santo Bank, and uh, that was kind of, uh, that that bank collapsed in, well, another scandal, but <laughs> I won't go, go on to that, otherwise that will just get too complicated. But uh, it was uh, Luis Felipe Vieira, uh, his, his, is absolutely incredible a debt of uh, 100 million euros. I think was uh, supposedly outstanding to this bank, and with uh, you know the Portuguese uh, tax revenue system apparently being you know being kind of sold short, and uh, it, a lot of people again a lot of Benfica fans were very unhappy at the fact that at that parliamentary hearing which supposedly was just because of his business dealings one of his kind of defenses was he said i'm only here i'm only being kind of hauled before portuguese parliament because i'm benfica president you know if i wasn't benfica president you know this would be dealt with in a different way and a lot of benfica fans saw that as kind of him hiding behind benfica or using benfica to you know to, to try and sort out his personal issues and uh, and then i suppose just to top it all uh when he was detained, uh, I, I have to say detained by the police because I actually tweeted originally arrested, then a legal expert explained to me that it's not exactly the same thing. He was detained on, uh, on suspicion. Again, he hasn't been actually uh, formally found guilty of any of these alleged uh, crimes. But, uh, you know, it's obviously, uh, but yeah, when he was, when that happened about, a couple of months ago or so, or about, yeah, no, a little, about six weeks ago, uh, one of the crimes for which he was detained was supposedly uh, using Benfica to his benefit financially. So, you know, buying and selling shares on Benfica, using inside information, so shares would go up and then he'd sell them. And get a big profit that way. And so this. I think that's really the moment when things changed. Uh, it already had a lot of critics among the Benfica fan base, but I think that was the moment when a lot of Benfica fans just really kind of, uh, any lingering support he did have, kind of evaporated, you know, because they, is, if these uh, allegations are proved too true, he's basically stealing from the club. So, you know, there's kind of no greater sin you could do that kind of unders a lot, all his previous good work as well. So, uh, so yeah, just basically a huge mess, a huge mess. And then uh, he was forced to step down. Uh, Rui Costa, of course, Portuguese football legend, Benfica legend, uh, was the vice president. He is now. the president or the acting president elections have been called and will be held before the end of this year uh, and it's going to be very interesting seeing what happens with Rui Costa because of course uh, universally really respected uh, you know Portuguese footballer without without doubt by all, I think not even Benfica fans or all, all Portuguese fans even abroad you know one of his kind of football royalty isn't he one of the greatest number 10s ever And, uh, and so but a lot of people, a lot of Benfica fans, especially, are not very happy with him because they're basically saying, how can all of this been going on at Benfica with you being the number two and not knowing about it. So one thing which has been repeated again and again, it's either one of two things, either, uh, you're kind of in on it and you knew what was going on or, uh, perhaps more likely most people seem to think although perhaps equally kind of damning in a way is you just weren't doing your job you know your job part of your job is kind of you know as being the vice president and being on 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 that board is to make sure things are done correctly you know and kind of make sure the supervision is done and you know things are double checked and everything is above board so it certainly seems that wasn't the case, and so you know it's going to be interesting if he does run for elections, which I'm sure he will do. Uh, a lot of Benfica fans are going to be in a a, li- a little bit of a dilemma, you know, whether they kind of vote for this uh, you know legend of a player or if they try and make a clean break of it. So yeah, it's all you know very messy, a bit of a soap opera, you uh, know, <laughs> nothing to do with actual football itself, but you have to say, very kind of interesting what is happening at Benfica now. And uh, like I wrote, kind of looking forward to this new season, I've, I always think it's amazing in football how quickly things can change. Uh, we were just talking about Benfica having won four championships on the row in 2016-17, that was the fourth, and it really looked at that time that they were just, you know, way, way ahead of the of the of the competition and uh you know also we have to remember that porto themselves were in a bit of a state at this time they've been they've been caught foul of the financial fair play rules of UEFA, so they weren't even allowed to, to buy anyone. You know, sporting were just in a complete mess again, just non-stop constant infighting. And then, you know, even before we talk about the, the Alcachete incident. So, uh, Benfica really seemed to have the path clear to dominate in Portuguese football. But here we are, four years later, and, uh, you know, arguably Benfica are in the bigger, uh, you know, as big a mess or the bigger mess out, out of all the three grands at the moment.